Glory to God. Uh, today I am going to, with the Lord's help, minister a message that, uh, you know, I really should be preaching a typical New Year's kind of message because, well, it's the new year, but, you know, let's face it, after the first week of January, whatever resolutions we might have made, they're probably already out the window. So let's not go back there, shall we? Um, but I, I want to minister a message here that is on my heart. It's going to be a lot of scripture. Um, and I didn't have time to put the nice little blank slides in there. So we'll just keep it. We'll, we'll get a, a scripture. You figure that out, what to keep it on. It's okay. I have no problem with leaving the word up in front of you uh, by any stretch. Uh, but the thought came to mind today, are you in it for the long haul? Are you in it for the long haul? And, and you'll see what I mean by this in just, just a little bit. Um, if you're looking for three points and a poem and all of that, uh, you're going to be sorely disappointed. If you like to take notes, it's going to be all over the place. I'm sure of that. If you don't like to take notes, just listen. But if you have, uh, don't have a means of looking at Scripture, it will, God willing, uh, lest we have technological problems, it will be up on the screen. But I want to start reading in the book of Second Chronicles chapter 14. We're going to then uh, kind of briefly brush into 15, and then we'll end up in 16. And keep in, in your mind, if you would, just the, the, the idea, the thought of, are you in it for the long haul? And I'm, I'm, I'm really talking about your commitment to the Lord, your, your commitment to him and uh, there is one word that we're going, well, actually a couple of words, but one that we're really going to focus on in these passages of Scripture that comes out in, in the book of Second uh, Chronicles in the life of a king named Asa. Asa is now the, he is the great-grandson of Solomon, uh, the great-great-grandson of David. So he is not far removed from David. And in fact, the Bible starts out for us here in verse 2. It says, Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord as God. He removed the foreign altars and the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. These are images, these are means of idolatrous worship that he is destroying Verse 4 says, listen to this. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord. In fact, I'm going to stop right there just for a minute. And I want to just mention that one of the highlights of his, his kingship, his kingdom, is that of seeking the Lord, that of going after God, that of, of inquiring of the Lord. And that's really essentially what this means because by this time now, the nation of Israel is split in two. There is a division that divided under King Rehoboam, Solomon's son. Solomon and David had united kingdoms. Uh, essentially, Saul did as well. But, but after that, now the kingdom is split. And it's split into two. The southern kingdom being that of Judah and Benjamin to the south. And the northern kingdom being really, essentially, the ten tribes. The other ten tribes known as the kingdom of Israel. And at this point, 
he has just a measly two, two tribes of Israel. And yet he calls them all together and he recognizes the vital importance of seeking the Lord. You say, and many times we seek God for something God will give us. In fact, if you read in Scripture over and over again, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the idea behind seeking the Lord is not necessarily to seek him for anything that he will give you. It is to seek him for him. If there is anything that we, we understand about God's desire for us to seek after him, it is to seek him so that we can know him. It's to seek after him so that we can know who he is. The Bible says here in verse 4, it says, he commanded Judah to seek the Lord. If there is anything that we, we would love to hear, I would love to hear our nation's leaders call upon us to seek the Lord. Trust me, ain't going to happen. Not unless there's a serious repentance happens from the top down. And we don't see any of that. We see the opposite. They're headed in the opposite direction. But the Bible says here, here is the king of this nation. This new name, he's a new king. Probably a young man. More than likely a young man. His father was only a king for three years. And now he takes over as king. And he commands them to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his laws and commands. In other words, to be faithful to what the word of the Lord says about how they were supposed to live. Not to listen to anybody else, not to listen to you know, the, the, the people, and eventually he's going to depose his grandmother, who was one of the ones who was instrumental in getting all of this idolatry as being part of the nation. Eventually he's going to take her down from her position as queen mother and depose her. And instead of following after what the culture says and what the world is saying and what these idolatrous leaders and, and priests are saying, he says, I want you to seek God and I want you to obey what the word of the Lord says then it goes on verse 5 it says he removed the high places the incense altars in every town in Judah and the kingdom was at peace under him think of that for a minute the kingdom was at peace now it wasn't for the entire time but it was at peace when he began to take these steps and he began to destroy some of the things that the enemy had set up and even the enemy, I say the enemy, the, the enemy of, of their souls, the devil through his own grandmother was instrumental in getting some of this idolatry rolling in the nation. He's tearing all of that down and now peace has come to the kingdom of Judah. He built up the fortified cities of Judah since the land was at peace. You see, when you're at peace, you can, you can strengthen yourself in the Lord. When there is peace in your life, you can be strengthened in the Lord. And that's exactly what he was doing. No one was at war with him during those years, for the Lord gave him rest. But why did the Lord give him rest? Because he sought the Lord. And then he led the people to do that. He sought the Lord and he tore down all of those things that they had put up in the place of God. They had taken this idolatry. He had taken these idols and, and this idolatrous nation and he was now leading them toward the Lord. Leading them to God. Now here's part of the problem. Oftentimes within the church, we get all caught up in cultural causes. 
We get caught up in things that we don't even find in the Bible. And oftentimes what happens is this, is we, we are not at rest, we're not at peace because we're not following God. We're not going after him. We're not seeking him with all of our heart, our souls, and our minds. Listen, the Bible says no one was at war with him. The Lord gave him rest. Now, let's jump down a little further to verse 8. So we've got to seek the Lord. In fact, the word seek is used in chapters 14, 15, and 16. If you were to count them up, it is used nine times. That's a lot of times for these three chapters. In fact, it is an emphasis. It is something that is vital to them and their success. And it's vital to you and your life as a believer. The Bible lets us know that if we will diligently seek after him, he is a rewarder of those who do that. But for those who don't and decide, well, not going to seek the Lord, he doesn't reward. There is no reward. There is no rest that comes in. So we have to seek after God. But now listen, verse 8, the Bible says this. It says, Asa had an army of 300,000 men from Judah equipped with large shields and with spears and 280,000 from Benjamin, armed with small shields and, and with bows. All these were brave fighting men. So he's got 580,000 people who are able to go to war and to fight. Now, this was an important number for him. He had to know as a king what he had going for him. But here's the thing. You go to verse 9. And all of a sudden, now something has changed. Now, it's not changed because he stopped seeking the Lord. I need you to know that. There are times in our lives where God allows rest, and then there are times in our lives where God allows an enemy to come along the way to test whether or not our resolve is what we said it was in the beginning. You see, it doesn't seem he had much resistance in the beginning from any nation around him, or even in his own nation. When he began to seek the Lord and he instituted for everybody, he said, I want you to seek after God and I want you to make sure that you go after him and follow him with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. The Bible says God gave him rest. Thank God. We love the rest, don't we? I mean, I'm just envisioning a beach right now with the ocean in front of me. That's, my, that's our, we love that. That's our happy place. We, we love just having, that's where I'm, I'm at peace. I'm at rest. I, I will get my chair and I will sit there and I will stare at the waves all day long. And I will tell you, I'm not unhappy. I'm not, I'm not in turmoil. I'm at peace. I'm at rest. This is sort of what I envision. But then, you know what happens? Trouble comes. It's called vacation's over. Trouble comes. Trouble came. This is what happens next. The Bible says, Zerah the Cushite marched out against him with an army of thousands upon thousands. The Bible doesn't even give it a number. So that indicates to me, Judah, the kingdom of Judah has 580,000 fighting men the Bible does not bother to give a number to the Cushites. Why? Because they had more than they did. It indicates that there is an outnumbering situation going on. And the Bible says here, thousands upon thousands, 300 chariots, and came as far as Merisha. 
Verse 10. Asa went out to meet him, and they took up battle positions in the valley of Zephathah, near Merishah. Boy, say that 10 times fast. They took up their battle positions. He goes out to meet him. Every now and then, when the enemy comes in, we want to run and hide. In fact, sometimes what we do is we run and hide and we say, oh, God, you're going to give me the victory. You're going to give me the victory. Every now and then we have to face the enemy. Every now and then we have to take steps toward the enemy. And that's exactly what he did. He went out to face the enemy, but he didn't start fighting yet. There was no fighting that went on. Let's go on to the next verse. It gets better. Then Asa, verse 11, look at this. Called to the Lord his God. And said, now here it is. Before the fighting starts, what does he do? He seeks God. He prays. He goes after God. He says this, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless, that's him, against the mighty, that is the Cushites. First of all, I want you to see part of this prayer. He exalts God. He said, Lord, there's no one like you. God, you're bigger than they are. You are above all. There is no one like you. And you know what? Here's the thing. He had proved that in his private life. He had proved that with the steps that he took in the nation to tear down the idolatry that was going on. He had proved that. Now he is here faced with an enemy that the Bible seems to imply outnumbers him. And what does he do? He calls upon the name of the Lord and he exalts God above that enemy. God, I'm not bigger. You are. I don't have the power. You do. I am calling upon you, and the Bible says there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Oh, but wait a minute. I'm supposed to walk in victory. I'm supposed to confess victory. I'm supposed to have it on my tongue at all times. Oh, I'm in victory. I'm in victory. How about we stop lying and just say, Lord, I'm powerless, but you have all power. Lord, I don't have the ability, but you do. You do. You've got the power to help the powerless against the mighty. You're the one to be able to do that. And then he goes on and he says this, help us, Lord, our God. Now, here's the other word. First word was seek. If you get nothing else out of these, this message today, get these two words, seek. And here it is, for we rely on you. We rely on on you. What does that word actually indicate? That word rely actually uh, means, and it can be defined as to lean oneself upon. So I'm leaning on this pulpit. I trust this pulpit. Now, I would not trust this pulpit if I gave it a good shove right now. It would go that way, and I would go with it. But if I'm standing here, and I need a little support and I, I, I distribute my weight properly, I can lean on this pole. It'll support me. It'll hold me. If you've ever had to be on crutches, right? They give you these crutches, and you have to have the leg elevated, and you walk with the crutches. You're leaning on those crutches. You're relying on those things. 
I, I got to tell you, every now and then, I love hearing people say, well, you, you religious people, you just, you got to have a crutch in your life. You're absolutely right. You have no idea. I need a crutch every single day. The Bible says here, it says this. He, he makes this confession as he's praying, assuming that he's not praying privately, but he's praying in front of his army and praying in front of those who went out to battle. He is saying this, you have the ability ability to help the powerless against the mighty help us lord our god for we lean on we rely on we are leaning on you oh god you need a crutch today i gotta tell you you don't have all the answers and the world doesn't have all the answers if there is any kind of crutch that you can lean on he says we rely on you lord we're not relying on something that's going to fail. We're not relying on someone who is going to fail us. We are relying on the one who spoke the worlds into existence. And when that came into being, the powerful hand of God, the Bible says, he sustains it and upholds it by the word of his power. When you lean on him, you are leaning on something that is a sustaining power. I want to tell you today that we need to lean on him. He says, for we rely on you and in your name. We have come against this vast army. Lord, listen to this. He says, you are our God. This is, talks about relationship. This is a relationship that he's been cultivating now for a few years. During that time of rest that he had, there is a relationship that he began to cultivate, and that is, he says, Lord, you're our God. Do not let more, more, mere mortals prevail. Notice, he doesn't say against us. He says against you. This army that was coming out to face Judah and, and, and Benjamin, these, this southern kingdom of Judah, as, as they were coming out, they were coming out against God. I want to tell you, there are times in your life where the battle is not yours. Trust me, his son Jehoshaphat is going to hear that actually later on. His son Jehoshaphat, I love Jehoshaphat. He's going to hear the battle is not yours, but the Lord. there are times in your life where the enemy comes out. The enemy is marching out, not against you. You think it's all about you? It's not about you. It's about God in you. And the enemy is coming after the Lord thinking somehow, out of stupidity, I don't know how, but he's thinking, yeah, I'm going to get you and therefore I'm going to get God. No, not going to happen. And he says, this, he says, don't let these mere mortals prevail against you, Lord. In other words, Lord, they're coming to battle with you. We're putting this on you and in your hands, Lord. This is a battle for you to take care of. Don't let them prevail against you, God. I got to tell you, there are times in your life the enemy comes along and he thinks he's going to take you out. He's not going to take you out because as you begin to seek the Lord and call upon the name of the Lord and cry out to the Lord, the Lord is going to step in because God refuses to let the enemy win the battle against him. Let's move on, shall we? Now listen, am I, do we have a verse 12? I'm, I'm rolling through this. All right. The Lord struck down the Cushites before Asa and Judah. The Cushites fled, and Asa and his army pursued them as far as Gerar. 
Such a great number of Cushites fell that they could not recover. They were crushed before the Lord and his forces. The men of Judah carried off a large amount of plunder. I want you to see what happened. Look what happened in verse 12. Go back up to verse 12. The Bible says, doesn't say that Asa struck them down. It says that the Lord struck them down. Every indication that the Lord, now we don't see the same, sort of the same scenario as what we're going to see later on in, in chapter 20 when, when, when Jehoshaphat goes against those three armies that outnumbered him, but we see something similar, and that is that God steps in and fights the battle for them somehow. We don't have all the details of how he did it. We just know that he steps in and begins to fight the battle for them, and then they carry on, and they come along. I want to tell you, it's almost as if God charged into battle ahead of them and they followed. It's like, it's like one of the scenes in the movies where the, the greatest warrior is the one to take the lead, you know, as they go into battle and everybody else follows along behind. That seems to be what took place. And, and the bottom line is, is they took them out. But why were they taken out? They were taken out because of this one thing. We rely on you. God cannot fight a battle in your life that you do not allow him to. That you don't allow him to step in and fight for you. He does not fight battles for you for which we do not rely on him to fight. If we're not leaning on him, what are, what's he supposed to do? He says, we rely on you. Now, Let's jump ahead. Where do I go next? 15. 15. That's what I thought. I, I have a bunch of stuff highlighted, and I, I realize I'm not reading all that's highlighted. So let me, let me go to chapter 15. Listen to this. The Bible says, The Spirit of God came on Azariah, son of Oded. He went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. Listen to this. The Lord is with you. What an assurance to hear a prophet of God say, the Lord is with you. Ever, ever, every now and then, don't we need to hear the Lord is with us? And I know it's hard when life gets difficult and painful and, and tough to really think that God is with us. But God tells him right now, he says, the Lord is with you when you are with him. This is an important thing for what is to come for the future. If you seek him, he will be found by you. And if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Let me back up into verse 2 just for a minute. Notice what he says. The Lord is with you when you're with him. So often we go through the day and we... I realize we, we're not always conscious of this, but sometimes we, we sort of stray away in our minds and in our hearts and in our thinking and in, in our lives. And, and after a while, we realize, you know what, God, I haven't, I haven't really been with you. I want to tell you, he makes a promise here. He says, the Lord is with you when you're with him. Stick with him. Find out, as the Bible says in the, in, in, in the New Testament, it tells us, find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases him. So often the world is always throwing down dividing lines, saying, you know, you, you got to run with us. Be over here. 
But didn't Jesus say that wide and, and broad is the road that leads to destruction? Wide is the gate? But narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there are that find it? If the world is calling to you, it's a sure clue you shouldn't follow after them. You remain with him. Jesus said, if my word remains in you and I remain in you, I want to tell you, we have to remain in him. We have to seek him, go after him. And the Bible lets us know the Lord is with you when you're with him. Now listen, he says, and he goes on, he says, if you seek him, he'll be found by you. God doesn't play hide and seek with us. He doesn't. He's saying, oh, let me, let me just hide over here and, you know, make it difficult. He's not into that. That's not, that's not what he's doing. He will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he'll forsake you. You actually read something similar in the New Testament, believe it or not. But I want to tell you, we, we can't run just because things are going difficult and, and we had a battle or two, we had a problem or two, we can't run away from him and say, well, you know what, God, I was supposed to have nothing but victory in my life. I was supposed to have nothing but rest, no trouble. That's the problem. We think that rest means no trials and no difficulty. It doesn't. It just means that God is going to give you rest through that trial, through that trouble, through that difficulty. And he goes on and he says this, verse uh, 3. For a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach. He's hearkening back and, and remembering back to the time, really, it seems like the time of the judges. Listen to what was, this is so uh, appropriate. And I don't have time to spend on this, but the Bible says, that they were that without the true God, without a priest to teach, without the law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, and he was found by them. And that's, that's exactly true. That's exactly what took place. In those days, it was not safe to travel about. Boy, it sounds like today, doesn't it? That's, at least that's what they want you to believe. That's, that's all. But for all the inhabitants of the lands were in great turmoil. One nation was being crushed by another, one city by another, because God was troubling them with every kind of distress. I heard Tony Evans talk about this, this verse recently, and he said, if God, if God is your trouble, only God is your solution. I didn't say that. He said that, and I love that. I think that's absolutely right. But as for you, he says, be strong. And do not, I don't have that up on the screen. Be strong and do not give up for your work will be rewarded. Now, move to verse 8. Verse 8. Listen to how he responded to the word of the Lord. Listen to this. When Asa heard these words of the prophecy of Azariah, son of Oded, the prophet, he took courage. He heard the word of the Lord and he took courage. All of a sudden, he's emboldened to do what God wanted him to do. And not only did he feel the courage and the strength on the inside, but he sprung to action. Is that a right? Well, I, I don't know. Sprung, sprang. He, he moved to action. He did something about it. The Bible says here, he removed the detestable idols from the whole land of Judah and Benjamin from the towns had captured in the hills of Ephraim. He repaired the altar of the Lord. Now, there's no indication the altar had been destroyed. There's no indication it had been desecrated. It just seems like it fell in disrepair. And the Bible says up to that point, it didn't seem like anybody was doing anything about it. He did. He said, let's repair the altar. The altar was a place for people to go and bring sacrifices to the Lord. 
We often refer to the front of a building and a place where you can kneel and pray as the altar. Why? Because it's where we bring the sacrifices of our hearts and our lives to the Lord and we lay it before him and say, God, use me and, and take me and, and help me to live for you and to honor you. And it, it, he repaired the altar and it could be that in your life you need to have the altar repaired. I want to tell you, listen, Listen to the word of the Lord and start repairing the altar. If the altar is fell in disrepair and you don't go there too much anymore, maybe it's time to repair that place, repair that system, repair that habit, and get into the presence of the Lord so that then you can, in fact, hear from the Lord. So he did those things. He took courage. He removed the detestable idols, those things that we put up in the place of God. I want to tell you the world is constantly throwing things at you, telling you this is what you need to worship. This particular thing is what you need to be around and supporting and upholding. And sometimes if we're not careful as believers and we're not in the word, we can begin to promote something that is not even of God or found in the word and we can place that thing above God. We can even take things that are good, listen to me, that are good, that are not wrong in any way, and we can put those things above where the Lord is. That becomes an idol. There's no getting around it. God has no other word for those things. It's an idol. So then he goes on, and the Bible says this. It says in verse 9, Then he assembled all Judah and Benjamin and the people from Eph. Listen to this. Judah and Benjamin. Remember I said northern kingdom is its own nation. It's described as the ten northern tribes of Israel. Southern kingdom is Judah and Benjamin. That's it. But notice this. The people, he says, then he assembled all Judah and Benjamin and the people from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon who had settled among them. They lived up north where Jeroboam and then whoever became king after him had their heyday with all their idols and all of the the idolatry and listen to what takes place. Now all of a sudden there is a migration that takes place. It says, who had settled among them for large numbers had come over to him from Israel, the northern kingdom, when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. I want you to just let that sink in for a minute. Just think about what took place. All of a sudden now, you have people moving. They are of the tribe of Manasseh, Simeon, and and Ephraim. And they are coming from the north to the south. And the Bible says they are settling there. Why? Because they saw that God was with him. You know what? That lets Elijah, that should have, that was probably what God was talking about to Elijah when Elijah thought, you know what? Only I'm, see, Elijah was a northern prophet. He was up in the north. Only I am here, Lord. Only I'm served. And God says, I've reserved 7,000 who haven't, haven't bowed their knee to Baal. I don't know if these are the same people. All I know is this, is they traveled from the north to the south because they saw a man who was on fire for God. 
God, who wanted to serve God, who wanted to follow God, and they wanted to follow God too. And they said, it's not happening up in this oppressive north. Let me get to where I need to be so I can serve the Lord with all my heart, my soul, and my mind. And now you have people from the north who have come. Why? Simply because they saw that God was with him. My question to you is this. It's very simple and it's challenging. Do people see that God is with you? Do people see that the Lord is with us? Or do they just sort of see individuals who are nice, kind on occasion? (laughs) Or, you know, oh, you go to church? Yeah, yeah, I go to church. And then that's where the conversation ends. Oh, that's nice. I've had people ask me from time to time, you know, they they find out I'm a minister and they don't know what in the world to do with that. Like, oh, (laughs) okay. You know, and it's not about a label. When it all comes down to it, the Bible said there was something more to this guy, something more to this king, where it was that, he, they saw something in him that was different, that was way different than what they were seeing up in the north where they were coming from. Their king didn't act like that. Their king was a beast. Their king was a devil. The, their king was leading them astray. And they wanted to have somebody and come around somebody who was going to be what God wanted them to be. And that's exactly what took place. Now, let me just jump forward Notice, though, how he responded to the word of the Lord. He took action. He, he was encouraged. He did all of that. Now I want to jump into chapter 16 because time is moving on and we need to come to a close. The Bible says this. Now, let me, let me just read verse 19 of chapter 15. I don't think I have that for the screen, but listen to what it says. It says, There was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. So there was a number, a space of maybe 20-ish years that took place. After the the Cushites, after that great battle was won, not much was happening. Now, earlier it actually said that Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. It says they brought into the temple the silver and gold articles that his father had dedicated so he is bringing things into the house of the Lord. He is, he is following after God. He has committed himself to the Lord. And then we have this span of time where not much is going on. Not much is happening. Things have changed. They've gotten better. He's got people from the north coming down. They're living in the south. They're living there following after God. But during this time, something's happening in this king's heart that isn't good. We don't know exactly what it is. We don't know what happened. But chapter 16, there is a turn. There's a change of what takes place. Listen to this. The Bible says this. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, Baasha, king of Israel, northern kingdom, maybe he was upset that he was losing some people from Ephraim, Manasseh, and and Simeon? I don't know. The Bible says he went up against Judah and fortified Ramah to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa, king of Judah. All of a sudden, unprovoked, 
no, no hint of anything is going on. All of a sudden, the king of Israel is now coming at the king of Judah. Verse 2 says this. Listen to this. Look at what happened. Remember, I just read to you that he brought silver and gold into the temple. Now listen to what happens. Asa then took the silver and gold out of the treasuries of the Lord's temple and of his own palace and sent it to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, or Syria, could be translated Syria, who was ruling in Damascus. What is he doing? Verse 3, let there be a treaty between me and you, he said, as there was between my father and your father. See, I'm sending you silver and gold. Now break your treaty with Baasha, king of Israel, so he will withdraw from me. Ben-Hadad agreed with King Asa and sent the commanders of his forces against the towns of Israel. They conquered Aijan, Dan, uh, Abel, Ma'am, and all the store cities of Naphtali. When Baasha heard this, he stopped. Now listen to this. Here's the thing that I want you to see in this. Is now all of a sudden, instead of relying on the Lord, he is relying on somebody else. Not only that, he is taking things out of the treasury of the house of God and he is sending it to this evil, wicked king from another nation who has aligned himself with the king who has come against him. And he is sending him silver and gold and he's saying, please do this. Now, here's what happens. Verse 5, when Baasha heard this, he stopped building Ramah and abandoned his work. And king of Asa brought all the men from, of Judah and they carried away from Ramah the stones, timber, and Baasha had, had been using. With them, he built up Geba and Mizpah. So here's what's happened. He's relying on the flesh, but guess what? It's working. It's working. Some people will say, well, the end justifies the means. Oh, he's going to get a rude awakening very, very soon. Just because the arm of flesh works doesn't mean it's what God desires. Just because depending on the flesh works for you doesn't mean what it's what he desires. Listen to this. I know this is a lot of scripture. This is different. Please just stick with me. I'm almost done. It says this, verse 7. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because, now here's that word again, you relied on the king of Aram. You leaned on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God. The army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. I want you to think about this. God is giving him a glimpse of what would have happened had he relied on the Lord. God is now revealing to him, not only would he have been delivered from the hand of the Israelite king, but this, this Syrian 
Syrian king, this Aramite king, who had come and aligned himself with the northern king, and you just paid off, you just bought him off, and, and signed a treaty with him. You've relied on him. Guess what? Now he has escaped from your hand. I was going to give him into your hand. You are going to defeat not only the king of Israel, you are going to defeat this wicked king, and you were outnumbered possibly again, but I was going to deliver you. I was going to put this man into your hands. But listen, God says, nope, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Listen to what he says in verse 8. He reminds him. He reminds him of how he delivered him in the past. Were not the Cushites and the Libyans a mighty army with great numbers and chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. Don't you hate being reminded of stuff like that when all of a sudden you realize, oh my goodness, I failed God. He failed God right now. He did. There is no doubt about it. And I'm going to read what comes next and what, what the prophet says next. It's a powerful verse. But the bottom line is, is he says, wasn't that army a big army that I delivered you from? Because, because why? You relied on the Lord. You leaned on the Lord rather than leaning on man. You leaned on God, and God came through for you. God helped you. God strengthened you. But instead, now somewhere along the way, we don't know what happened. We have no clue what went on in his heart and his mind that caused him to go and to make this treaty with an ordinary human being who really could do not much. But you say, but wait a minute, it worked. Yeah, it worked, but it wasn't what God wanted. It wasn't his plan. Verse 9, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Now, in chapter 15, I read a verse that said that throughout this time that his heart was committed to the Lord, but something happened in it because now the prophet is having to remind him of how the Lord will support those whose hearts are committed fully to him. Somewhere along the way, his heart was not fully committed to the Lord. Somewhere along the way, he let that slip and he let it go. And he says this, God wants to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He wants to help you. And in fact, he is looking for you. He's looking for people to be like that. The Bible says his eyes look throughout, range to and fro throughout the whole earth to see and to find that one. But he says, you've done a foolish thing. And from now on, you'll be at war. Oh, can you imagine? This guy had enjoyed many, many years of peace, rest, no trouble, no difficulty. And now God is saying, you'll be at war. But I want you to notice how he responds to the prophet. Remember earlier when the prophet spoke, the Bible says he took courage he acted on what he had heard. He just, he went out and he just destroyed idols and idolatry. And he just went after God with everything that was within him. He just, he not only had it in his heart, but he had it in his actions. But now all of a sudden, listen to how he reacts. Asa was angry with the seer because of this. He was so enraged, he put him in prison at that at the t at the same time Asa brutally oppressed some of the people 
Can you imagine? This guy has experienced great success because he has sought after God. He has relied on the Lord. People have moved from the northern kingdom to the southern kingdom because they saw that God was with him. And now all of a sudden, something has changed. Something has turned. And he is not only oppressing the people, he is now putting the the preacher of of the word in jail. Folks, things are like that are happening actually right now by governments that have rejected God. And I'm talking governments that are supposed to be free and giving people freedom. That has actually happened. I don't have time to get into that. But listen to this. Jump down to verse 12. This is where I'll close. The Bible says, In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. Though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from physicians. What changed? What happened? I don't know that I have an answer to those questions. I've often heard that lawyers are not supposed to ask questions that they don't know the answer to. But as a preacher, as a pastor, as as someone who reads this scripture, I honestly don't know what happened. I don't know what changed. But only in this man's life, the Bible says here that he was afflicted with this disease in his feet. It was so severe and painful that the you would think that in his disease, in his sickness, he would call upon God. He would cry out to the Lord. But no, instead, he is still relying on the arm of flesh. Somewhere along the way, the enemy deceived him into thinking that relying on the flesh is the best thing that you can do. And I want to tell you today and encourage you today in the Lord. You rely on the Lord because there is victory in store for the one who relies on the Lord. We've seen that in Scripture. In fact, his own son, Jehoshaphat, when he becomes king, he's going to recognize that and realize that in his own kingdom and in his own life. He relies on the Lord. God is going to bring victory and God is going to bring deliverance. And, and Asa saw that in his life. I want to tell you, some people say, well, you know, I just need to see a miracle. And I'll, I will just be solid the rest of my life. No, you won't. This man saw a miracle. He saw an army that outnumbered his get destroyed in front of him, and he took part in it. But it didn't mean that he remained faithful. I don't know why he didn't. But that is a probing question for all of us. The question is, are we in, in a similar situation in our lives? Is there something going on in our own hearts where we've seen God do something in the past? But we're not seeing him do it in the moment. And somewhere there is a voice that comes to you and says, just lean on the arm of flesh. Look, here it is. And here's the thing. I go back to this one thing. And that is, when he leaned on the arm of flesh, he got the desired results that he wanted. But he didn't get God's best for what God had for him. You can get the results you want. There are all kinds of people who can put plans into action and get the results you want. But you may not have God's best. God says, here's what could have happened if you had relied on me. And the more he heard this word, the angrier he got. The more he oppressed, 
the more he went against God. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, if there is anything, and I don't know if there was any amount of, of pride that entered this man's heart during those years of rest, it could have been, because honestly, the only thing that can explain this is he got prideful and just thought it was all about him, that he did all of this. I don't know that. That's a guess. But maybe that was the case. But instead, what we need to do is take away those two words, seek and rely, and that will bring victory in our lives. Oh, it doesn't do it at every battle. It doesn't do it overnight. It doesn't do it at every, every turn. And, you know, we walk on these special clouds that are victory clouds. And, you know, we just somehow never feel down and discouraged. That's not the case. If we never felt that way, would we pray? I mean, he, he was in a situation where he faced the army and he prayed. But now something was different. I want to tell you and encourage you, rely on the Lord and seek him with all of your heart. We saw good things out of Asa in the beginning. Don't let those good things slip in your own life. Don't let it slip and say, well, I'm just going to do this and I'm going to take... No, God is in control. He is in charge. And I want to tell you, we need to follow him with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind, be committed to him so that people will see and it will be obvious that God is a part of our lives. Let's stand to our feet right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask, Lord, for your people today. I ask for all of us, Lord, myself included, that, Lord, we would not rely on, that we wouldn't lean on the arm of flesh. I pray, Lord, right now in the name of Jesus that you would help us to be strong in you and in the power of your might. And when we're faced with that next battle, I pray that we would not make any kind of an alliance with any fleshly means, but instead we would trust in you with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. Heavenly Father, I pray for your people, O oh God. I pray that as we charge through life right now in this, in this city, in this state, in this place, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to rely on you, to seek you with all of our hearts, our souls, and our minds. I pray, Lord, that as people go to their homes and as they're faced with the challenges of their families and the challenges in their lives at their jobs, I pray, Lord, that you would just be fill, so fill their hearts and their minds with you that it would be obvious, so oh God, that you are with them. And I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you would cause us to be a light, a light that will attract people. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask right now, though Asa ended wrongly, I pray that we would, for the long haul, we would stay in that place of seeking you and relying on you, and that we would do nothing different but walk in your ways, oh God. Help us, Lord, I pray, in the name of Jesus, not to, to lean on ourselves and lean on our own understanding, but in all of our ways to acknowledge you and you will direct our paths. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, you would give us that strength and that ability. God, we're going to give you all the glory today in the wonderful and the precious name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen and amen. God bless you. Turn and greet each other before you leave. God bless you.